podcast today with coach rob how are you brother hey good morning man how the heck have you been doing sounds i've been keeping track of you on social media it looks like you're putting on camps uh i love hearing that they're sold out and i i love the venues you're going to and i kind of you know me i'm as much of a fan of yours as everybody else's is and i love the layout and the design of the camps they sound and look like they're going to be a blast yeah thanks man yeah they are we i guess we got a few in last year, but it was a bit up and down, as as you know, and as we were kind of just discussing with with COVID and whatnot, we didn't get as many in as we kind of hoped, but it was a good taster for them, and we got some really good feedback, and now things are sort of starting to open up again this year. We're back into it, so we've got a few coming up, which is really cool. Yeah, well, congratulations, and I, everybody I've talked to that's gone to your camps, you know, they just, they speak very highly of it. And it makes sense. I mean, with your background, education wise, racing wise, it's just, you know, tying in with suspension. I mean, it's, I don't know where do you, not because you own and manage the camps, but where else can you go to get a more complete package? So I'm excited. And I, I know that everybody's excited to get racing and they want to do it the right way and do it injury free. So uh, props on you for keeping it out there, even though there may not be a lot of races you've continue to make that available whenever you could given the quarantine debacle that we're dealing with. Yeah. I think in, in some ways, I think that's kind of played into our favor a little bit because there hasn't been racing or especially last year, there was no racing. So people were really keen to come and do a camp or something like that when they could just to, to get on their bike and do some riding and learn some stuff, which was a good thing. Yeah. It's a catch 22 because we like when you and I were together in Australia, People want to come out and do it, but it conflicts with a race weekend or it's a week out from a race and they don't want to take the time off, which we totally respect as racers. Um, but I, all the feedback that I've heard with your camps, it's like, wow, I wish I had done this earlier. And I'm like, I understand, but it's hard to convince them of that because either they don't want to take time away from their race or maybe they have gone to a camp and they were sadly disappointed that the camp was maybe over overhyped and underdelivered, you know? So yeah. I like hearing that people have a chance. And like you said, now that the calendar is starting to loosen up and, and build some framework, it'll be exciting to see them take your suggestions, fitness off the bike, bring it to the bike and go out and ride the daylights out of the motorcycle and have fun doing it, which is what we're all about. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's probably the biggest thing I'm excited for this year is just, you're probably the same, had like a good group of clients that have been working their tails off for the last 12 months and haven't been able to race that much. So it's going to be, I guess I'm excited for them to be able to see the fruits of their labor a little bit in the next couple of months, which will be really cool. Well, let me say this uh, before we jump into the show here. I always love it when somebody joins your program because let's say they join three months ago. Like you said, you've got some that have been busting their butt for a year. What I think is so cool is those people that have been working hard for 12 months, they will always be 12 months ahead of anybody that joined your program today. Yeah. And that's, and that's not a sales pitch. I just want people to think I, I, I'm up here at uh, one of the practice facilities here in Northern Florida. And it's, it's interesting talking to the kids who have, have seen and heard about a performance program. And then they start getting smoked by the ones that started a year ago and like I always try to tell the clients that went ahead and they jumped on board, no matter who starts today, they will always be one year behind you. Mm. And 
that's not an arrogant comment as much as it is what they know has moved their progression and their continuum of improvement forward incrementally. Now, there isn't a single client of ours that, that you have, that I have, that maybe is listening to the show is going to say they did 100% of everything. We get that. We're not, we're not trying to add, create an artificial environment. But even if you did 40% of it, even if you did 80% of it, that 80% times 12 months, and if you just look at that, that what you and I like to lean on, that rule of 1%, yeah. Think about that. 7% a week, 30% a month times 12 months. Yeah. That's awesome. And that could be little things like reduced injuries. It could be better endurance. It could be better mental focus, more confidence, uh, better breathing, which you do a great job with. Nobody can ever take that away from you. If you've been working with that for 12 months and you know, you've been doing it the right way. And by all means, for somebody that may be a new listener to the show, we're not advocating that we know everything and we're better than everybody. What we advocate is we know everybody's different. And what makes your program so unique is you constantly cater your program to each individual. That's what I think maybe somebody that, oh yeah, another, another performance coach, there's a dime a dozen. No, look, look a little deeper underneath the hood and see if there's really, you know, compare what you have to offer to what anybody else is offering and look at the results that you've produced with some of them. I love looking at, like what you've put on social media, you know, looking at percentages of improvement and you're not afraid to share some of the performance data. It's awesome. I wish everybody would do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's true, man. Like, I guess, like you say, that's just when you've got that, when you, when you put in that work, it's not necessarily that, I guess you're ahead, but you've just, you've started that continuum, like you said. So that just, that's compounding every day. Um, and at the end of the day, when you get on the start line, the, the less doubt there is, the more certainty there is, then the better off you're going to be, the better off you're going to be. percent, hundred percent. And the other thing, it just happened today while we were here at this facility, we've been trying, we have a young kid that's on an 85 and unfortunately when he was on a 65, he broke his pelvis. So he doesn't have that mobility with his hips the way it was supposed to be. And for the last, it's been about a year, maybe just shy of a year. We've been doing a lot of PNF stretching. We've been doing a lot of trigger point therapy. And it was interesting today, he was even commenting how much more comfortable he feels being in that attack position and even taking it to the final step of he doesn't sit down as much as he used to because his hips don't fatigue because of all the dysfunction and the lack of mobility in his hips. We all know standing is gonna be more efficient but when the hips are all locked up, and I know you preach this sermon all the time, but it was cool. Here I am, you know, 8,000 miles away from you and literally just was talking about it with a rider. Like you said, maybe it's not about getting ahead, but I do know that his mobility and his hips are going to be better than they would have been a year ago. So somebody else that's got a nagging hip injury that doesn't come and see you and doesn't understand how to lift correctly. And you're really good on stabilization before movement and all that goes in it. It's more than just a bunch of cool ads on or comments on Instagram. When you're talking about functional movement, when you're talking about stability, if you pick one of those little nuggets up and you do one a week, one a month, I, I do have to look at it as you're that much further ahead. And yeah. so I, that's what I think makes it fun, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You're, to, you're totally right, man, for sure. And that's, I guess that's probably the biggest thing, as you know, and you just kind of described is, is the mobility it's that and that's where honestly 90% of my clients get their gains from it is 
obviously like the energy system stuff there too. Like there's some definitely some low hanging fruit there, but it's not necessarily about just making you stronger. Like if you're super stiff and rigid and you get a whole lot stronger, you're really not going to move that much better on the bike. Like um, that's, and we get those comments all the time from our clients that they're just moving better in the gym, getting some more mobility, some more range of motion. They're not necessarily lifting more weight or getting massive amounts of, I guess, strength gains, but they're getting mobility gains and the carryover to that on the bike is they feel more aware of their body. They can do it for longer. They're more efficient um, and makes such a difference. Well, take that one step further. What good is strength without mobility? What good is mobility without strength? And I don't want that to sound rhetorical, but if they don't all integrate together, what are we left with? A biomechanical atrocity on the bike, which, and and I'm always amazed that when you get that functional movement going, people are always amazed on how their core body temperature decreases. And they go, why is that? And I'm like, because you're literally not resisting against yourself. Mm. I like the post that you did a couple of weeks ago about not all waters created equal. And people go, ah, they dismiss it. What does it matter? Well, dehydration, uh, excuse me, a body that's dehydrated, the skin's not sliding over the fascia, the fascia's not sliding over the muscle, that's going to increase core body temperature. Well, that increased temperature, like any motor, is going to decrease power. It's going to decrease endurance. Who would think that hydration could improve sprint speed and improve endurance? But it does. And it's the same thing. Yes, we want to make athletes stronger so they're resilient to an injury. However, mobility has got to precede strength. Strength has got to be complemented and supplemented with stability and mobility. And the thing that I hope the listeners pay attention to is going down to your local gym is not going to cut it. Mm. This is not me being a, yes, I'm probably your biggest fan. And I don't want the new <laughs> listeners to think I'm trying to sell, sell everybody. But going down to the gym and having somebody that doesn't understand functional movement on a motorcycle is going to cause more damage than advantage you've got to you someone like yourself that understands the book aspect of it that understands the gym aspect of it that you'd find in a corner gym but the difference is how does that translate over to the motorcycle you can talk about attack position and then talk about the joints the shoulders the hips the knees you can see okay look notice that your hips are not moving you know a good friend of ours you know both of ours rhino what's he always talk about locking the hips I'm not getting into the discussion of who agrees with it or not, but what is he talking about? Functional movement of the hips. Well, who's a, who's the guru of that? You are. Not because you're there to try to sell services. You're able to look at them, do a functional assessment. You can see them on the motorcycle. You can see them move in the gym and boom, you may take somebody and go, what you think you need strength, but you really don't. Mm-hmm. What you need is to unlock that left hip. They're like, what? I thought I paid you to come make me sweat a lot. I don't mind making you sweat, but let's do it so that we don't continue to exacerbate a hip that's locked up and you're seeing it on the bike because they're riding cockeyed. They're not equally distributed, all the things that you look for. And that's where I hope the listeners will pay attention. You know, it's more than just looking buff with your shirt off. It's about being able to push and pull a bike around without fatiguing, reducing the risk of injury, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm, I'm, I love seeing the success results that you're sharing and you know, you do a good job even showing some of the in-depth that you've got it, a lot of science behind it. You've got the reports to validate, more quantify the progress instead of, oh, you're such a good guy. 
I love you, Ben. You know, that's not what it's about. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Always, I'm always trying to learn more and, and improve what we're doing. So I'm glad that comes across. Absolutely. Keep it up. Um, so I thought we could have a bit of a chat first up about the, the Kenny and Dean incident. Um, oh it's been a bit of a oh hot boy. topic, a bit of hot, hot topic this week. And I guess like, like any incident, there's two, two camps, I suppose. Some people reckon Dean was completely wrong. Other people reckon Dean wasn't and, and Kenny was in the wrong and whichever way we look at it, you, everyone's entitled to their opinion, but, um, sure. How do you, I guess, what's your, how did you look at it to begin with? Well, for the sake of all the listeners, I want people to know that you and I did not talk about this before we got on. Uh, so um, it, I'll just call it the way it is. I, I feel it was extremely disrespectful of Dean Wilson. Um, he's a veteran. He, you know, especially as, as short as that track is, you could, you could sense the race that's happening around you. Um, it's not like his first rodeo in a main event. I don't think it's ironic that he rides for the same team of the the guy that was running him down. And I just hope that Cooper Webb gives him 25, 30 grand of that bonus check because Dean earned it. Um, and, and that's the part, I mean, that's just the way I feel about it. You know, Dean's declaring he, he was caught up in the racing and all that other, um, you know, there's enough video circulating around there. There was enough blue flags that were put out to clearly under, to understand it's coming um, the excuse that, well, he was caught up in his own race is almost irrelevant because of that sense of awareness. And I was thinking about it when it was over, when he threw out that apologetic, I'm sorry. Can you imagine when he was in the title hunt racing for PC? And if that had happened to him, he would have lost his mind. Yeah. You know, now I do have to side a little bit on the burden on Kenny. I would have parked Dino. I would have given him maybe one or two corners and then I would have parked him. 100%. Now, you know, I totally understand that he's had his issues with, if we may call it kind of in the instances that have hurt him in the past, those were all out of retaliation. Everybody knows the history between him and Webb and all the cattiness. But I think, you know, Kenny's a good enough rider that he could have absolutely moved Dino and made a statement. Would have been a shame because Dino probably would have gotten hurt. He tends to get hurt pretty easily. And I don't say that disrespectfully, but some of the things that don't seem that big of a get off, he seems to get hurt pretty badly. Um, but no, I think 100%, he knew what he was doing. Um, it, team tactics, call it what you want. I don't think he has a vendetta out against Kenny. I just think he's thinking, I know how to change the, the results of this up. And he knows Coop. He knows Cooper's a very good tactician. He can read and it just played right into his hands. And I just, I don't buy it for a minute that, am I saying that for three laps, Dino's like, oh, you know what I think I'll do in the next three laps? I think I'll stall the race. He just simply didn't move out of the way. And, you know, there's less experienced privateers with three digits on their bike that did a better job getting out of the way than Dino did. So, and again, out of no disrespect, what place were they lapping up to at that point? Were they like 12 or 13? Oh, I thought he was nine. I mean, he was inside the top ten, wasn't he? Or it was yeah. four. So, four. I'm pretty yeah, sure. So there you go. Ten. It was a fair way yeah. up. <laughs> so it's not like Dino was the first or second guy to get lapped, and he was surprised when it happened. I mean, yeah. it's it's been coming for a long time. So, and and I've I've got my opinions. I I disagree with some of the the talking heads that are out there saying I I like the idea that if you get lapped, you come off the track. 
Um, now they say, well, for TV, you might have six people out there. Well, I can tell you as a spectator, which I'm still a huge fan of the sport, I would much rather watch six guys battling bar to bar than yeah. watching and wondering if they're going to get taken out, you know? <laughs> and I'm not a TV producer, but sometimes I wonder what the hell are these guys doing? We're about to watch a pass for the lead and we get to go back and zoom into the guy that's in 19th place that just looped out. I don't give a shit. I really don't. So maybe it'll help the producers focus on the race that's at hand. Um, I can see if we were at the, the last round of Vegas and your points leader is stuck in 17th place and is he going to lose it? Okay, I want to see 17th place then, but that's not the story. Um, and, you know, you go to any other sport, what do they show? They're showing the front of the race. So I stick to my guns. I think if you get lapped, you get pulled from the race. I think it's a heck of a motivator. Um, there's a race that's uh, in the sport of triathlon called Super League. They have a line that's on the track and say that you beat me out of the swim. You cross that finish that you, you come across that line. If I don't cross that line within, I'm just going to use a random number that changes per venue. If I don't cross that line within 30 seconds of you of the swim, I don't even get to go on. I'm out. Right. You're done. I'm done. Yeah. It's a, it's a multi. And then the race is only like 20 minutes long and then they, they get a small break and then they start again, but there's a double elimination. You got to stay in contact with the leaders. Mm -hmm. And then if you get out on the bike at the same time, and then you get lapped, you're out, you're immediately disqualified. But what it does is it allows you to stay focused on the race at hand instead of who the heck is where and what position. And I won't get on my soapbox about the television coverage, trying to say that they're, they're going to bring new, people into the sport how many people just trip upon supercross on peacock yeah. i mean statistical chances of a new viewer tripping upon that are ridiculously low yeah so this idea that oh we have to we have to explain that an orange bike is ktm we have to explain that there's two bike classes <laughs> we have to explain this is asinine you know it's like the people that are spending the money for the peacock coverage understand what red plates mean and they know that there's <laughs> There's a lot of money at stake and they want to get to know the people. Um, and that's what I wish the TV coverage would do. But, uh, you know, back to the Roxon situation, I, I just hope that uh, Cooper Webb sends Dean a really nice check and a rack of ribs or something because he deserved it. He earned it for sure. <laughs> How about yourself? What was your take on it? Well, I guess mine was probably a little bit different. If I, I was kind of thinking if, if you kind of took Dean out of it, to begin with and, and the blue flags and whatever like Kenny just seems to struggle to put down passes in high pressure situations like if that had been if if Coop had been leading or Jason Anderson or Osborne or Barsha we know for a fact like yeah. they, Dino would have been over that boom or he'd be on the ground <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean like yeah. they would have just gone for the jugular um so I think he could have done a better job of it. Like if he really wanted to get past, like you said, he, he could have done it. Um, that being said, though, Dino's training at Alden's now, supposedly. He's mates with Coop. So if, if that, I really don't think he's the kind of guy that would do that. But if he actually knew that Kenny was behind him and he had it in his head, I'm going to hold him up because Coop's behind him, then that is not right. Like that's... That shouldn't happen. He should he should be penalised or, or or whatever. But yeah, it's it's a tough one, man. Like, and like you say, like Kenny's probably got a big a bonus on the line, um, a win bonus. So 
for him to see yeah. that go out the window would have been a pretty tough pill to swallow, I'd imagine. Well, I heard with the OEMs and the gears and all that, that was about a $200,000 loss right there. Yeah, right. You know, for, for the overall. Um, I'm sure second wasn't chump change, but uh, it, it's a big kick in the teeth for sure. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And you bring up something with the flags that I have a I have a little bit of a problem with. You know, when you look at the week before, Roxon got docked four points for a flag infraction. Yeah, they didn't even they didn't even give Dean a points dock on the on the whole situation, which again just shows the inconsistencies. You know, what what I was looking at is why not give you know you took the four points away, why not give them the four points back like they did the week before? You know, they didn't take away the positions; they just took away the points. Yeah. So you still get your win bonuses, but you got docked the points. Well, let's go the other direction. Now, in this case, he lost the win winnings. We'll give him the points back. That's kind of they giveth and they taketh. If, if you would, if if I go off of the infraction of the flag and you took four points and then somebody else was an infraction and it cost you the win, why not get those points back or even half those points? Yeah. But that's that's another subject all in itself. But I agree with you. It's uh there's got to be some, and the fact that Dino got nothing out of it. I mean, we've seen Vince Freezy get more penalties for less, you know, infractions than that. Yeah. You know, so it just doesn't make any sense. But we'll see how it comes out this week. And won't it be frustrating at the end of the year if Kenny loses a title by seven points? Yeah, it will. Would, well, he would be seriously <laughs> upset. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> And understandably he, so. He's still, he's still in the race, though. Like he, it's, it's it's super tight, isn't it? I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, I think there's only like one or two points for top three or four guys. Yeah. Because I think, um, see, Kenny. I think Kenny still holds the the red plate, if I'm not mistaken. But then it puts Coop only one point back. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's coming down to. Uh, it'll be a, it'll be a good. Well, I think there's in the next. I think at this next round, and uh, where are we going to? We just left Houston. We're going to, is it Indiana, maybe? Yeah. I can't yeah. remember. Indy. Yeah. So, you know, that dirt, it tends to to kind of reach up and grab people and catch people off guard. I think this will be the race at the, if there's going to be a momentum shift, it'll happen here. Because yeah. it's that type of dirt that if you get, just, you know, get mental laps for just a moment, it's going to reach up and bite you. And historically, Indy has not been very forgiving if you get ripped off the bike. Yeah. So. A lot of histories, a lot of history at this venue, and with three races at the venue, I think this will. Even though it's early, I'm not naive. I know it's really early, but I, I anticipate this will be the weekend that the the not the weekend, but the series at Indy. I think will be a big shift. Yeah, you're right. It'll be interesting to see, but you would think surely, like if Kenny doesn't come out swinging hard at this one, like he's he's done. Like if, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like if that doesn't yeah. put the fire in his belly for him to come out and really prove a point, then it's. I think they've probably broken the camel's back. Well, the fact that he didn't uh, move Barsha out of the way that we on round one, I think that was a mistake. Mm. You know, because all you did, I'm going to steal a line from Jet Lawrence. You know, he pretty much knows he's getting free rent in Kenny's head because he didn't move him. You know, and if the role was reversed, Barsha, as you said earlier, would have definitely moved him, even to the point of probably putting him down over the berm. Yeah. Um, I don't understand why everybody's cat, you know, coddling around Barsha for fear. Oh, it's first round. He's going to retaliate. 
you're feeding right into his narrative. That's exactly what he wants you to be intimidated by. Look at how Tomac handled it late last year. Barsha served it. He served it right back on a silver platter and put it all of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> he didn't waste any time. And look how quickly Barsha became less of an issue for Tomac. Now, yeah, you could argue the bike and all the other stuff. But right now, think about it. Barsha knows Kenny's afraid of him. Now, Coop knows Kenny's afraid of him. Yeah. And I guess Dean Wilson should think that Kenny's afraid of him because he didn't hit him either. So I, I don't know. Right now, Kenny's put himself in fourth place as far as I'm concerned. But, And again, I know he's been through a lot with the surgeries and all that, but th there was a lot of places he could have cleanly just – I mean, you saw that with the 250 class, you know, whether you like it or not. Or there, There's other ways that you could come in and rub plastic and still not take somebody out. Mm. But I don't know. It'll be interesting to see when we get to this next round. I don't think anyone's afraid of Kenny. They know he's fast. Obviously, that Honda's working really well. But, you know, this weekend's got some big whoops, so we'll see what happens. Hopefully, they'll keep them big, I should say. There's a whoop section. I just don't know if Roger will be able to get it cut down or not like he's done in the past. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll that, was first practice. that was the other thing I was going to say. Hopefully, the track's a bit, a bit more technical or different. Like, it was a fairly basic track. Like yeah. compared, to, compared to your average AMA track, like so, hopefully they get a better setup at this one too. Well, the challenge that you have at the first round is if you look at the size of that stadium, they could have easily put twenty five seconds on that track. But as one person texted me, dirt costs money, and so it's pretty obvious that Feld's trying to cut costs because yeah. that that track was not much bigger than an arena cross track when you really look at the times forty three mm -hmm. seconds. And if you look at the amount of space they had on the floor, um, there was there was a lot to be left. But again, if you're cutting corners, the quickest place to cut corners is less dirt. So yeah. hopefully we see that release at some level. But poor riders, man. I don't even know that I'd be dizzy going that many laps in 20 minutes personally. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And like, it's a, again, it's a tough one. Like they're obviously limited to people and last year they couldn't even have spectators at least they've got spectators this year which is sure. but they're obviously not making as much money as what they normally would so i yeah. guess they've got to draw that line in the sand somewhere too don't they they do and, and i don't want the listeners to think that i'm not grateful for us going racing i'm beyond grateful but look at how you had that um, I, I apologize i can't remember it was a pretty benign first turn and they had to red flag the flat red flag the race because you've got a turn and that, you know, the guys are coming back the next lane and jumping over that. So they had to red flag it. And there was really nobody there that, well, this weekend's race has got the exact same design on it. Why the hell they would do that? I don't understand. You think they'd learn. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's even if you built an over and under, I mean, the chances of a left hand, not so much on the left as much as the right hand turn, but you're turning left hand into, and if someone goes down or heck, if someone just washes out, mm they're going to have to red flag the race because he's going to be standing right in the lane as they come heading back down adjacent to the start lane. So that, I don't know if you're going to, if you're forced to do something like that, I don't know why you wouldn't build an over and under like the old days, but yeah, I know it costs money, but build it once and put it on the tracks that you're going to have mm -hmm. that turn go underneath. Now, again, yeah. I'm not stupid. It's not smart to have a first turn go underneath a bridge, <laughs> but doesn't make any sense to jump over the turn either on the second lane of the race. So yeah, you're right, man. It, it's a tricky one, but fingers crossed we see that the 
it, I guess at the end of the day for them, it's a, it's a business, isn't it? They don't really give a shit. Like at the end of the day, they don't care about the riders or the, the experience they're getting out on the track. They just want to come out with money in their pocket at the end of the season. So, yeah, um, fingers crossed that it sort of turns around and goes the other way for the for the 100%. riders and for the spectators too. I guess. Well, I was talking to a privateer and um, he got an infraction of some sort. And if you can walk through this, he made the main event. He got a check. He got a penalty or an infraction. So essentially he had to write a check to Feld or AMA yeah. to go right. Yeah. How does that happen? <laughs> you made the main event and you owe us money. <laughs> only only in Supercross and outdoor motocross can we see these kinds of things. Yeah, it's crazy. Doesn't make any sense. <laughs> oh, well. We're going um, racing. Yeah, that's it. That's a win. That's right. That's it. <laughs> Um, so I thought another little topic we could maybe scratch around on today to start, what are we, we're nearly a month into the year already anyway, but if, I guess if there's ever a good time to maybe do some goal setting or plan out your year, um, now's a better time than ever. Um, so I thought we could maybe throw a few ideas around or maybe you could share some concepts perhaps that you um think might help some people i guess super common for people to set a new year's resolution and then yeah they don't oh they do they might do it for two or three weeks or maybe a month or maybe even two months if they're going real good but then by the end of the year they get to the end of the year and they're in exactly the same freaking place as they were (laughs) when they started so how do you i guess break down goal setting when you look at it i think your last comment is the starting point when you look at what you laid out, set out to do last year and you get to the end of the year and once again, you didn't achieve them. I would encourage all the listeners to stop and ask why, you know, if, if we pick the one that's the lowest hanging fruit, everybody wants to lose weight. Okay. What, why, did, why weren't you successful? You have two kind of extremes that's going to happen. Either you have somebody that just never gets started. They're not motivated enough. We've all seen that. We understand it. The other extreme is they started, but then just smashed themselves to the point that they could, you know, they're so tender, they couldn't brush their teeth and they think that that's fitness. And then you get into that little psyche of, well, I've got to use fitness as a punishment for my poor eating habits or poor social party skills or whatever it is. So you've got, you've set yourself up for failure on both sides if you do decide to engage in fitness, you make it a smash fest or you figure you've never started. Why start now? You know, there's the two extremes. What I would encourage everybody to think about is what, and we're going to use their words, not ours. You didn't achieve the goals. You failed. That's what I always hear. I failed to achieve my goal. Well, I don't think that you failed. I think what you got to do is you got to ask yourself what happened that kept you from doing it. I'll use, uh, we'll stay in the same theme of weight loss. Someone says to me, Rob, I, I can't stop going to, to drive throughs I eat fast food all the time. Well, that's, that's not the issue. You've contacted Ben. You said you wanted to lose body fat, not weight. Ben's not into dehydrating his clients. He's into dropping body <laughs> fat, big difference. But when somebody runs through that drive through and they've already made a commitment to fitness and health and wellness and all that goes with it, you got to back up well, why are you going through the drive-through? Where's your cooler? 
well, I didn't have anything cooked and packed at the house. Okay, well, that's still not the problem. Let's go ahead of that. Why didn't you have something cooked? Why is something not packed? Well, it wasn't in the refrigerator for me to cook it or pack it. Okay, well, that's still really not the problem. You got to go in front of that and you go, well, I, I guess you didn't go to the grocery store and buy it. Yeah, because if you look at the domino effect, if it's not in the refrigerator, you can't cook it. If you can't cook it, you can't prep it and, excuse me, pack it. And if it's not cooked and prepped and packaged, you can't put it in your cooler to take it to work with you. So you're, where do you end up? The drive-through. The drive-through is not the problem. Back up the train. Why don't you stop and look at when are you going to take the time to go to the grocery store? Yeah. And I, I, who would think that when we're talking about goal setting, people would go and look at time management. Yeah. Every single person that I've worked with that's frustrated about something, what do they always tell me? When you really get to the root of the issue, I just don't have time. I don't have time to train. I don't have time to sleep. I don't have time. I don't have time. And I understand it. I've got three little ones at home and I'm, I'm not, I don't live in a glass house. What I do understand is it, it, it I, I hate to use this because it sounds so textbook cliche-ish, but what you focus on grows. Yeah. So if you're really frustrated with the fact that you didn't stick to your weight loss goals in 2020, start with the frustrations. What kept you from getting to where you wanted to be? The drive, the drive through fast food is not what's frustrating you. It's the only option you have. Yeah. Why did you end up there? And why did you end up there and keep backing it up? And that's what I would encourage everybody, because if you don't make time for it, then you're never going to be able to get the healthy food. Why? Because it just doesn't appear in your refrigerator. It just doesn't appear in your cooler. It just doesn't appear on your plate. It's got to be a priority for you. And it's always interesting to me when you have a little one, how you'll make, especially when, when you're, when the female becomes pregnant and when she becomes pregnant, she does everything right. She makes sure that she eats and she makes sure that she exercises and she makes sure that she sleeps. Then she gives birth to the baby and then the baby gets all the attention. And then the mom doesn't, she doesn't have time for herself. The little one needs all kinds of attention. So that's what I would encourage people to look at is, how are you going to find the time, make the time, and then stick to it? And then this is the part that I think most people overlook, and it's the most ironic twist. What is your reward? You know, you've got, you've got two little guys at home, okay? And so you're trying to encourage them to go to school. There's not a single human being alive that ever woke up and said, school is awesome. I love going to school, especially when it becomes hard, right? We don't, we don't like what we fear. We fear what we don't know. And so what is the reward? Well, the reward is you get to move up to the next grade. Um, I don't know about you, but my dad, if you got A's and B's, he would give us $5. You know, there was always an incentive. I always think it's interesting when you look at a young child, look at your boys. I mean, you eat really healthy. I'm using this just symbolically. An M&M is way more valuable to your son right now than $100 that you can handle. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's all about currency of importance. You yeah. know, if you've got a teenager, that phone is more important than the car because they don't even have a license yet. That car is of no value until they're old enough to get a driver's license. And then the currency is that car. Yeah. Well, flip that, flip that model and example upside down. If you're going to go to the gym and you're going to work out and you're going to go and you're going to eat good food, what's your reward? Now, I don't want to hear the reward is I want to eat a pint of ice cream. Okay, because that's not very gratifying. It's, it's not the currency isn't high enough. What I always say is, 
I, I have shared with you this in private. My, my oasis is the beach. So like whenever Michaela and I finish a digital product or we finish a project that's big, we schedule a trip to the beach. We'll go to the east coast of Florida. We'll go to the west coast. We're up here in Tallahassee, Panama City area. We'll go down to Miami. We love the beach. But we have that on the calendar that pulls us through. We've got this deadline. We've got to get video done. We've got to get editing done. And it's a grind. But if we keep that deadline on, on the calendar, this is where the, the scheduling and managing of your time, we don't miss those milestone dates. So we meet the deadline we promise. But then when we get done with it, we go, okay, we're going to the beach. When we were there with you in Darwin, or excuse me, when we were down there with you in Sydney and all that, I don't know if you paid attention, but there was right there outside of Wollongong, there's that where they bring the boats in. And we found this cafe that sat on the water. So after we did two days, we did four days at Mount Kembla, where were you, when you were looking for us, where could you have found us? At that cafe at the water. Exactly. You know, and every, like when we were up in Darwin, we, we did a presentation to a triathlon club and then we worked with an off-road group and then we worked with a group of motocrossers Every night we found this one restaurant that was playing live acoustic music that overlooked the ocean. Yeah. That was our reward for those kinds of days. And I, I want to encourage a listener, what is your reward? What's your currency of importance? Sometimes it's just having one hour to yourself to do nothing but meditate and focus on your breathing and just de decompress for a little bit. We always think, it, oh, it's got to be an expensive car or an expensive trip. No, it doesn't. Yeah. It really doesn't. What's important to you? You know, for you, it's getting out on your motorcycle. For you, it's watching your two boys smile. For you, it's you and Bond getting away for a weekend. But you put that as a priority and you make it happen. And I think the listeners, we tend to use exercise as a whipping tool for bad eating habits. So that causes us to have a distorted view of fitness. Let's go to the other extreme. When you do go six weeks and you've been very dedicated to it, what is your reward? You're very good about having your athletes chain in a block. Great. When they start, you go, okay, Tim, this is going to be five weeks, six weeks, whatever it is. And at the end of that block, what do we always do? A week of rest and relaxation to rejuvenate physically and mentally, but then people don't want to lean in on it. Yeah. But that's what you work so hard for to finish the block. Where's the reward, you know? Yeah getting a soft tissue massage. I mean, something that you consider is a luxury. You've got to reward yourself. So when you're in that dark spot of like, oh, I really don't want to do this. You go, okay, there's, there's a carrot at the end of the tick. And there you, you go after it and the stick is attainable, you know, and there sits the carrot. So that's what I would encourage people to do is make the time, find the time, address the frustrations and then reward yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I like that, man. That's awesome. For sure. It's different. It's different, but I found it to be quite effective because most people don't fail to reach their goals because they didn't want to. It's usually some frustration that got in the way and we we refuse to address the frustration. And that's why you see the same goals in 19 weren't met or the same ones that weren't met in 20 and we're almost into February. And like you said, some are not even off the ground yet. <laughs> well, I, I think it's right. And you kind of touched on it there too. Like, the, the big long-term goal, like whilst it's it's great to have a bit of an idea on what that is or where you want to be at the end of the year, like at the end of the day, it doesn't actually freaking matter. Like like you just said, you need to get an hour in your week to do meal prep. 
and go shopping. Yeah. That is the one thing that is going to move you forward in the next two months. Like as an example, that's that's not going to be everyone's thing, but sure. for a lot of people, it is. Like even even athletes, like you know as well as I do, that that you got to you got to eat when you train. So if you're not putting in the time to prep your meals, then it's not going to be too too long before your recovery starts to drop off because you're not getting enough calories in, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. it's not like it's great to have the big fluffy goal and 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 visualize and have focus on that. But at the end of the day, if you're not doing that thing today, that that short-term process goal that's going to move you forward, um, then you're never going to take that next step towards the big one. And, and that big step has got to be divided and conquered, divided and conquered. If you're trying to jump a big gap and you miss and you can grab a limb on the side of it and you can, you know, pull yourself up the rope or up the vine or whatever it is, you tried to jump too far, you missed, and now it's more work to get up there because you lost sight of, let's just build a little bridge and then we'll add to that bridge and then we'll, and eventually we'll be across the gorge, but nope, we just ran and jumped. So we bit off way more than we can true. And then it falls right into our frustration. See, I knew I was destined to be whatever it is, financially broke, out of shape, hate my job, hate my life. hate. And I'm not saying that loosely at all. I know there's people that say, I hate my life. I get it. Mm. Well, if you don't start writing down what it is you want to change, you're going to just keep trying to jump across the gorge and you're always going to land in the middle. And then you, you got to fight and crawl back to the top just to get to sunlight again. And that's why, like you say, and again, it sounds textbook cliche-ish, but those that fail to plan, plan to fail, that's where it's got to be incremental. Sure, like you say, the big lofty goal, it's great. I think we should all set the bar higher than we think we can achieve because we will achieve it, but yeah. it's got to be incrementally a, a, approached. And uh, it goes back to what we were saying. When you go into the gym and you're committed to it and you're so sore the next day, you're only human. You know, when you're squat down to go to the restroom and you're stuck because your legs are so sore and you can't stand up that's not going to make you very motivated the next morning to go do it again yeah. so it's okay to, to ease into these things i mean we're we're all human and uh, i agree with you 100 on that it's got to be incremental it's got to be obtainable forget about not forget about the big one but keep it in perspective think about jumping that gorge it can't you just go one bridge at a time so I think that's a good, you bring up a good point in that regards. Yeah, exactly, man. It, it's, I guess, breaking it down into, into bite-sized chunks and then also just checking in and reminding yourself of how far you've come. Like, like you said, like giving yourself a reward, celebrating because you can keep chasing that carrot and keep chasing that carrot and never actually stop and say, shit, I'm actually fair bit a fair way ahead of where i was six months ago that's you, right you just feel like but you feel like you're not actually getting there because you haven't just taken the time to stop and actually reflect on what you have achieved that's a, that's an important part of the process too i think no i totally agree and, and this may catch some people off guard you know we're very fortunate we work with people from all backgrounds you know if you want to call them an athlete they're athletes we have executives we have stay-at-home moms wherever that spectrum is for the listener and I always like to ask my clients, why are you doing what you're doing? And they, they kind of look at me like I'm crazy. I say, well, why are you doing what you're doing? Whether it's getting up early in the morning to work out or, you know, foam rolling when it's not the most, you know, it's not the most stimulating thing in the world to do, but it has its benefits. And you know, what's interesting is I very rarely have somebody that can give me a definitive reason why they're doing what they're doing. 
And let's, let's take a very, very extreme example, but I see it all the time. We have some athletes that make hundreds of millions of dollars and, you know, you, you get, you get them by themselves and you're doing a workout with them and you say to them, you go, Hey, why are you doing this? And usually they don't have an answer. And then they kind of let it muddle a little bit and they'll come back. Usually the default answer is going to be for the money. Okay. Um, and the second one that I usually will hear as well, it's all I know how to do. Okay. I understand that. Um, for those that are listening, obviously we have a lot in motocross together. You know, you have guys that say, well, I have, I don't have much of an education. I have nothing to fall back. I understand. I understand. So we go back to, it's about the money. Yep. Yep. It's all about the money. Cool. How much money do you need? Not one person's been able to answer the question. So when you say that, when you mentioned that illustration of the carrot dangling, it's like just when you get close enough, then somebody moves the carrot. Well, just like a hamster on a wheel, eventually the hamster gets tired and gets off the wheel. Yep. And so how much is enough? What is it that we're achieve? What is it we're trying to achieve? What is it that we're after? What is it that, when is it enough? You know, for some of us, it's just making that first million dollars. For some of us, it's got to be 10 minutes. I'm not judging what the number is. When you hit it, my question is, let's just say it's a million dollars. When you finally make that achievement, what are you going to do with the money? And I've asked this question to almost every one of our, what I call athletes that get paid, not just athletes, but athletes that get paid. What is it that you're doing? And then when they finally come back with money and I say, how much? And then they ponder it and they come back, $15 $15 million. Okay, cool. Well, where are you at right now? I don't ask them to tell me the private numbers, but I'm like, all right, so here's where you're at. What is the quickest way? Let's say you have 5 million and you want 15. What's the shortest path between where you're at and where you want to be? And then you reverse engineer that. Let's take motocross, for example. They have base salary and they have weekend bonuses. You have clothing deals, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what I always say is, well, what's the quickest way for us to get there? And then we go after it and obviously do it in a healthy way. I'd much rather work with a guy that's going to get fourth and fifth and be able to do it for 10 years, than smoke him, And he can last for a year and a half to two years. And he's out of the sport for the sake of the sport, as well as for the health of the individual. But here's where you take the last nugget of question. You finally achieve $15 million. Awesome. What are you going to do with that $15 million? Cause this is where I go back to what's your currency, no pun intended. What's your currency? And one athlete that I was talking to has almost $100 million in the bank. He said the most, the thing that he wants more than anything is to go fishing with his dad on the lake. He bought a $14,000 bass boat. And every Friday he takes his dad out. They go to breakfast and they go fish. Whether they catch something or not, they don't care. The guy's worth tens of millions of dollars. He bought a $14,000 bass boat. And what's important to him is that he fishes with his dad every Friday. So he lives for that Friday. He puts up with the BS. He puts up with all the crap that goes with it. But on Friday, where are you going to find him? On the lake with his dad. Yeah. On a boat that he could buy, you know, a yacht. And he's in a $14,000, I think it's like, I don't know, 12 or 15 foot fishing boat. Nothing fancy. And I hope the listeners that'll resonate with him because you realize we all think it's the money. It's it's not the money. You need, you know, and I'm going to sound sarcastic, but I don't mean to. I don't like when people say money doesn't buy happiness. I disagree. Okay. Because if money doesn't buy me happiness, then poverty doesn't buy me shit. <laughs> so I want 
to have an enjoyable life. I don't need to be, you know, obnoxiously wealthy because that's not what's important to me. For some people that came from extreme poverty, being a multimillionaire is their thing. I support you. I get it. If you come from that, you want the extreme, that's your, I, I hate to keep using the word, but that's your currency. That's what matters to you. That's okay. As long as you do it without it, you know, do, gaining the wealth at the expense of your health, gathering your wealth at the expense of your partners or your family. You know, it's just all about balance. Cause then you've got all this money and you're sitting there alone. What does that get you? Yeah. Or you've, you're there and then you've got a bunch of health issues. All the money you made is going to go about trying to stay healthy, which is an ironic twist. And at the end of the day, Absolutely. Yeah. And that, that's more common than you think too these days, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, it's Michaela and I, we, we, I don't want this to sound arrogant, but we work out every day from 10 until noon every day. And it's amazing to us. We'll be doing an open water swim. So we're swimming on a lake with houses that are 5,000, 6,000 square feet with a hundred thousand dollar ski boat, but there's nobody on the boat. There's nobody in the backyard. There's nobody. They're all busy at work trying to keep up with the house that they have on the lake, but they can't even enjoy it. Yeah. You know, it, I don't know. It's just, there's, to me, there's a crazy way of looking at things. I always say it in my staff meetings, I don't want to fly first class. I want to own the plane. And that's not about me being arrogant or being better than everybody else. It's just, I'm not putting the bar here. I'm putting the bar here. Yeah. But I would never go after that bar if it was at the expense of my relationship with Michaela our kids or whatever. That doesn't always come easy, you know, because sometimes you just have to say no and turn stuff down. But my currency is my kids. I was teasing. I have three little ones. Those little ones are 21, 18 and 14 now. Yeah. And I remember literally bringing those kids home in the car in, in, a, in a car carrier. And yet they're now driving the two vehicles that I brought them home in. Seriously, my oldest son, Josh, is driving my Tundra that we used to take to the racetrack together. And my other son is driving my Honda Civic that I brought him home in the car with, you know, that's how life changes, but yeah, that's awesome. it's fun. It's, it's different, but I want to encourage the listeners, how much is enough? And when you achieve enough, what are you going to do with that? Which comes back to rewards. Yeah. What's important to you, you know, and please for all the listeners, don't worry about what somebody else thinks. Screw them. You have your own, don't look for approval on things that are important to you. You know, my, my little guy likes vanilla ice cream. You know, you take him to a Dairy Queen, get him an ice cream cone, that's better than $100. <laughs> he just loves vanilla ice cream. I'm not going to judge him on it, you know. But you should see the smile on his face. He's extremely happy with a $3 ice cream cone. Yeah. Lots of fun. <laughs> well, I think that's that's something, that's a good point to touch on too. Like, is it, it's not really about perhaps setting the goal, but defining like what does success look like for you? Because that's obviously like you just said it that's a very different thing for, for each and every person which is completely fine but do you actually know what your version of success looks like or are you just trying to please other people and and chase that carrot and yeah. you're not really doing something that you actually want to do or are you going to end up in a place that you kind of didn't want to end up in because <laughs> you didn't exactly. actually know where you're going <laughs> that's exactly right yep no and it's and I, for somebody that may be listening to us for the first time, again, I don't want to come across as living in a glass house. I was a fat young kid. I mean, I'll just call it up to fifth grade. I was, you'd call me morbidly obese. All it took was one guy in the middle school that said he was going to teach us how to lift weights, but you had to be there at six in the morning. And we did it. Um, I, I'm adopted. 
So I, it's not like I come from a silver spoon background. I was adopted into a family of eight. So I've got four brothers and four sisters. I was pretty much the beating pad for everybody. You know, I, I don't want people to think I live in a glass house. I was married for 25 years and went through a very, very long and difficult divorce. Um, you know, it, it didn't end very well, but you know, it is what it is. You got to keep moving forward. And I, I live by a mantra. It's not what happens to you. It's how you handle it. But I want the listeners to understand my, it's not been easy, you know, I, it, but I also recognize that everybody else is going through struggles just like I have from being a little fat kid to being literally left on a curb and adopted. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a very humbling experience to know that your two parents didn't want you enough that they're willing to just literally leave you on a curb and somebody was willing to help, you know. But yet I was adopted by a dad that was phenomenal, was the best father figure I could have ever had. And unfortunately, we just lost him. And then I know, you know, for people that are listening, I don't have a parent that's alive on earth. And Michaela and I are getting married next month. And I don't have a, a parent. I understand where you're coming from is all I want the listeners to understand. Everybody's got their challenges. Everybody's got their dark spots. I don't want to come across as like, you know, my life's been utopic in a silver spoon because it hasn't. But I just want that to be an encouragement to others. Not, it's not about me and my sob story. It's just I understand people have we hit rough spots. There's for that's no doubt. <laughs> but I want to encourage people to really, you know, identify what matters to you. Come up with a blueprint to go after it, and then please reward yourself with something with with what matters to you. That's yeah, that's, that, that's a credit to you, man, that you've you've achieved what you have and you've, I guess, had the foresight to actually, I guess, like you said, like, it's not what happens to you, it's how you handle it or, or how you respond, I should say. So it, that's a credit to you that you've had the foresight to be able to, to move forward through that stuff. No, I appreciate it. And it's, it's not been easy. I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, it's been a I had, I had the master plan. I always lean on the idea that the mother of invention is necessity. And, you know, everything that's, that's happened in my life, I think is falls under that mantra. And, uh, you know, I'm not a naturally talented athlete. My brother was, of course, you know how that is. And uh, so he, everything I would do for two years, he'd try it in two days and be better than me. And I was like, damn it, but that's okay. I mean, I mean, I'm dead serious. My brother was the, one of the first kids in the United States to sign out of high school to a professional team in baseball. Yeah. He signed with Houston Astros out of high school. Well, I was not a very good athlete, so I had to work my butt off for everything and anything. And, you know, it's amazing to watch somebody who's got a lot of talent because he has more talent in his pinky than I have my whole body. And he, like, I'm dead serious. He barely try anything that I've been working on for a couple of years and beat me at it. Didn't matter if it was running cross country or whatever, but it taught me, all right, well, if I, if I can't beat him on talent, I'm going to outwork him. And uh, then I learned how to work the correct way when I went to the Olympic training center as a triathlete. And I'm like, I got humbled really quick that I didn't know what I was doing. What I thought was smart was completely upside down and backwards. I had all the book smarts, but as they said, I didn't have athletics spent uh, common sense. And that was training too hard, training too long, calorically restricted. And, you know, I learned it through baptism, through submersion. And, and I'm thankful because I'll even go so far as to say, if I didn't go to the Olympic training center, I probably wouldn't be alive today. I think I would have ended up literally making myself so physically sick. I think I would have died because it was, it was not a good path. Um, but it took a guy that just said pretty much either you can continue where you're going and it won't last much longer as an athlete. But at that time, you know, my whole identity was trying to be on the Olympic team. 
And then when that was, because I got hit by a car, that got revoked, you know, your whole life is sitting in one basket and that basket just got tipped. And all of a sudden you're like, cool. And he was explaining to me that part of the injuries and it goes down a whole nother trail, but you know, the mother of invention is necessity. And I think we're all, you know, you'll get to a point where you're tired of being overweight or being financially broke or, you know, working for a boss that you absolutely have a disdain for. And eventually that necessity of I'm absolutely over it is going to be the catalyst. And that's okay. I just hope that the listeners will get there sooner than, than I did. Yeah. Well, I guess that's, that's another little bit of a cliche saying too, but it's one I use all the time. And that it's that every challenging situation has potential growth. Like it's, that's what, that's, it's what we learn the most from is that when we, we get injured or we get knocked down or something happens in hindsight, when we look back, it's like, yeah, that I learned so much from that. And that's, that has changed or changed my life path or it's turned me into this person or or whatever it might be. Um, So for anyone listening that might be perhaps super challenged at the moment, you can kind of grasp that concept a little bit. Um, Might be a tough time right now, but once once you get through it and figure it out, you'll come out of it as a better person. Well, and, and I, if we're kind of being a little bit raw and transparent here, you know, if there's a listener that's in a dark spot and they feel like they've got nobody to talk to, I would encourage them to reach out to, you know, reach out to us. Cause I can tell you when I was going through my divorce, man, people that you thought were your best friends, shit, I didn't hear from them from the moment it was public that, you know, I was going through a divorce, the people that you thought would be there, those anchors, those cornerstones, they evaporated quicker than water on a sidewalk. And I just remember thinking to myself, man, I literally have nobody I could talk to about this. And I'm not here to try to save the world, but I tell you what, there were some dark moments where I don't really need somebody to solve it. I just need somebody to freaking listen. You know what I mean? Because you got all these people in your ear telling you what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And some people are mad and some people are happy and it didn't help. And and I hope anyone listening, and I mean that sincerely, you know, um, I'll give you my email address. It's Rob, R-O-B-B at coach Rob spelt the same way.com. And if you email me, um, I'm happy to help because if you're in a dark place, man, it's, it can, it can get darker really quick. So uh, yeah. don't be out there trying to swing that bat by yourself. Yeah, absolutely, man. There's always someone to, to, I guess, lend an, lend an ear and listen. And and sometimes that's all it can take, right? That's all you want. Don't, don't yeah. fix it. Just freaking let me get a rock out of my backpack. Just one. Cause right now I, I cannot keep my head above water. It's a very, very, you know, when you're out there drowning and someone throws you an anchor and not a, a life buoy, that's what you feel like sometimes when you're in those positions. Cause every, every corner you turn, somebody throwing another rock instead of a life survivor. And you're not, look, I'm not into entitlements. I don't get me wrong. I'm not, not into entitlements. I'm into self-responsibility and accountability, but man, you get to a point where you can't swim any harder. And, uh, and, it, and the rocks are adding up pretty quick. Been there. Get it. Happy to help. Don't hesitate to lean in. And you may not know us from Adam, but we're here. And I don't want that to sound hokey. Man, it's uh, happy to help. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yep. um, and I get, like, again, it comes back to like we've kind of touched on just celebrating the little wins because it's so in if you are being challenged like it's it's easy to have that filtered perception and you can't really see the the good things whether that's hanging with your kids or or whatever it might be 
Um, yep. There's always something there. Like there's always that, that little bit of, uh, of grass on the other side of the fence. That's a little bit greener, I suppose. So it's just trying to be able to um, open the, the filters up to be able to see that. That's exactly it. Well, I, I think our listeners know that we're serious. And if you're new to the show, welcome. And uh, we mean what we're saying. And the only way you can test us is reach out to us. We're happy to help. I think, I think we both did a good job of keeping up with that one in a humble way. So, yeah. So before we wrap up, and you've actually got some camps coming up too, haven't you? I saw you posted some the other day too. You're getting a few underway by the look of it, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah, um, with the uh, with the COVID debacle the way it is, obviously air travel is pretty messed up. So we're uh, going to be up in Oklahoma in a, in a week from now, depending on when people are hearing this. Uh, the first week in February, we're going to be up there in Oklahoma. Then we're going to be going out to California. We're going to do a, a Daniel Blair show, main event moto. He's doing an amateur motocross show. We'll be doing one in uh, February and another one in April. And while we're out there, we're going to uh, host two different camps. We're going to be in Argyle. Um, the 15th and the 16th of February. And then we're going to go over to Jet Reynolds place and um, on his private track on Saturday and Sunday of that same week. So if anybody's listening and, and is in that area, go to complete racing solutions.com and you can check that out. And then we are working. Uh, we're really excited up in the Northeast area uh, up in New Hampshire. There's a really legendary track up there called Winchester we just put together uh, a, a contract there. I look, I'm thinking it's going to be the weekend of Southwick. Um, so keep an eye open for that one. We're going to be uh, in Virginia. We're going to be in Texas. And then, like I said, we'll be back in California in April. So got a lot of camps coming on there. Um, our goal is when the travel list, we'll be heading over to the UK to work with Alex Snow and his riders. Um, then we'll be jumping over to you, spending some time in Australia for probably six months. And then over with... Uh, the, the riders in New Zealand. So with Ben Townley and his group. So we're excited about all that. And there's still some other things we're working on our digital product, the anatomy of an injury. That's why I was teasing earlier with our milestone dates. It's, it's tough because you got to get the production crew and all that. It's nothing good comes easy, but when you get those milestones met, it's great. So we're having a lot of fun with it, but it's always a pleasure to be on the show, man. I know you've been super busy and well, hopefully the listeners will be back to a regular cadence now that uh, now that we got this one under our belts in January. Yeah, we will be, man. That's the plan. We've got got each other scheduled into the diary, so we'll keep them coming every month. Absolutely. Appreciate everybody listening, man. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for coming on, mate, and keep us posted with how those camps go over there. I'll be keeping an eye on the on the social media. Yeah, I definitely will. You keep up the good work with yours as well. Appreciate it, bud. Take care. Thanks, Rob. Peace.